for the week of September 5th, 2021. This is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 554, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news-making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And in Talo, I'm Michael Giltz. Oh, God, I have, you know, you're always someplace special. What is Talo reference? Is it Dune or something? Because I know that Dune. No, no, Dune is on Arrakis. Much of it takes place on Arrakis. I am looking forward to that movie. I think I'm going to go see it in a theater, not the drive-in, because I really want the sound and picture quality to be the best. I can get it on HBO Max, but I want to go to the theater. I'll just mask up and do it. Uh, I'll go on a weekday or sometime when it's not crowded. I won't go opening weekend when it could be busy because I really do want to see it on the big screen. I'm interested. I liked the book, though the more books you read, not so great. But I am interested. I have friends, big sci-fi fantasy buffs, big people. This family would normally go, no questions asked, to a movie like this in the theater, even though they own HBO Max and could see it for free. And yet, they're like, no, the Delta variant. Hmm? You know, unless we all get covid and recover from it and can go safely maybe for the next four months after that we would go because we feel like we had good immunity but otherwise yeah no we'd like to but we're just not comfortable so they're in the healthcare industry partially so a couple things dune of course uh based on the frank herbert novel the 1960s sci-fi frank herbert novel uh premiered at uh the the venice. Uh, venice venice film festival to uh lots of good reviews some some bad yeah, you know mixed you know it's a spectacle no doubt it's a spectacle if you're going to enjoy it at all you want to see it on a big screen lots by the way it like, was shot wow. in, in imax it was shot in imax all of it most of it yeah i mean he did really? a lot of the a lot of it yeah he made a big really? point at CinemaCon of talking about why he was kind of so upset that it was going to be premiering day and date on hbo not, max not only did he want you to see it in the cinema he wanted you to see it on imax yeah he was wow. saying you know hmm. this was shot specifically in and for imax oh well i'm gonna oh that makes me then i'll have to pay to see it in imax i guess unfortunately well, it's more money as That's far as the delta variant goes i would say uh you know week by week check what's going on because it's changing by the day and by the week no, it's not going to disappear in a week. So no, 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 no. I mean, not quarter a week, by but... maybe quarter by quarter, <laughs> week by week. No, You're, we're in here for quite a while. It's not going to go. It's been in flowing, but it's still some a very serious issue. And if you have any compromised family members, you don't want to mess around with it. Even three months from now, even if it's not as bad as it is today, it's still highly contagious. But anyway, Talo is Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. It's one of the locations in the movie that that I saw over the weekend. I went to the drive-in and saw Shang Chi and uh, Shang Chi, I should say, and uh, Free Guy. Free Guy, I thought was bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was giving it slack, giving it slack. Yeah, it's all right. It's Truman Show with the Matrix crossed with this. I'm like, yeah, okay. And then it gives you the message of the movie, which you know I get. And then it gives it to you again and again. Then it punches you in the face with the message. Then it kicks you in the groin with the message. You're like, I get it. Yes, we should all shake up our lives. It's like enough. Then it wimps out weirdly at the end. It's a stupid, awful ending. Oh, it's ridiculous. What? When it, when it's Ryan Reynolds versus beefy Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> no, no, not that. Oh, okay. The movie. Yeah, no, no. There's weird, a couple of weird things. that I was like, one of them was like, really? That's what you were building to? Are you kidding me? Like, it's just so stupid. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I found it disappointing as the movie went on, though I thought Ryan Reynolds was gave a good performance. Shang-Chi, I thought, Shang-Chi, Lordy, I gotta work on that. Shang-Chi, 
that was uh, okay, like many Marvel movies. A lot of good actors. Michelle Yao is very good. Tony Leung is very good. Uh, Aquafina is probably the best thing in it. She gives us that way into the movie where there's someone who can actually be in danger, you know, so you can right. actually be worried because you're not really worried about Shang-Chi. You know, he's going to be okay. He's got 10 rings eventually. So what the 10 rings do, how they work, not a clue. Kind of like Captain Marvel. <laughs> what what are her abilities? She seems to be immortal. You know, it's just like whatever. It's hard to get excited when he's spinning around and you have no idea what's happening. But well, you know, was, my my nephew is my nephew is a uh, he he goes to he lives in the Bay Area here in mm-hmm. in the U.S. in San Francisco Bay Area, and he went to a Chinese immersion school uh, from kindergarten through the sixth grade. So oh. he speaks. Fluent Chinese. Now, oh, cool. whenever we would go to one of his his, uh, his his like school plays or school, like everybody was Chinese except for him. It was like the weirdest, like this little oh, that's cool. that's pasty great. white boy, like speaking unaccented fluent Chinese. So that's cool. his mother took him to, to see uh, Shang-Chi, however it's pronounced, and he would laugh at all of these things that Aquafina was saying, or that like people would say mm-hmm. in Chinese. <laughs> nice. And, and like, for instance, at one point, apparently, uh, Aquafina's character is asked, do you have a Chinese name? Right. And she says the name in Chinese and it's not subtitled. Uh, and the response is, well, a name does say a lot, doesn't it? Uh, and he could not stop laughing. And, and you asked him and said, what was the name? vagina yeah <laughs> girl you're a girl basically yeah <laughs> that's and, hilarious and so he said first of all i was impressed that he knew the word for vagina in chinese uh but you know apparently he was very distraught because the 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 uh subtitles weren't exact well of like course he's like they're not they never are kid Wait, yeah. well welcome to the world yes so i would say about 20 percent of the dialogue was uh subtitled so that's cool to see for a big blockbuster Marvel movie. Uh, the setting in the wuxia, the background of martial arts and fantasy made it feel a little fresh. It felt a little different than some of the other uh, Marvel movies, the touches of fantasy in there. There are magical creatures. So that, that, that kept it a little fresh for me. It was okay. You know, not bad. Entertaining enough. Uh, but I did get, while I was at the movie, I did get texted, hey, Michael, maybe, you know, I always wanted to be the host of Jeopardy. They said, maybe you should be the executive producer of Jeopardy. I'm like, is he out? And they're like, yep. <laughs> Mike Richards lost the executive producer job on Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. So he's out of work completely. So now they need a new person there. They've got a temporary host of the show. They've got a temporary executive producer. We'll probably end up keeping the people that are temporary, but we'll see what happens. But we will find out what happens on this show, too, really. Yeah, that's true, because this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we do have 10 rings. We've got them all. That's right. I, and I, I'll tell you, uh, I just need one more finger for that 11th ring, and then I will be in the sequel. Uh, okay, <laughs> really, we, we, we've got one movie, which is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and it's rewriting the history books when it comes to the Labor Day weekend. Tom Cruise, by the way, he won't be back in cinemas until 2022, at which point, by the way, you will not be able to get rid of him. In other words, we've got the latest on the whole movie opening date, Rondelet. It's who I think uh, everything's moved to 2022, except for where it's moved to 2023, except for where it's opening at Christmas time. So 
Hold on to your hats. Hollywood actors had a big vote last week, and we've got a split decision with the nanny Fran Drescher, the new president of SAG-AFTRA, and a competing faction winning most of the other races. Uh, and, you know, actually, Ant, well, we'll talk about it when we get there. Uh, on Inside Baseball, we will we will uh, be joined by Patrick Vonsakovsky of Celluloid Junkie. Uh, oh, I've always wanted to talk to him. Uh, he's <laughs> going to talk about the Chinese and Indian box office markets. One is headed down. The other is headed up. And Patrick, he's going to explain why. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. And we're looking at box office around the world for the week ending September 5th. Except for Shang-Chi, in which case we include September 6th, Monday, Labor Day, because that's a holiday here in North America. And we added in about an extra $14 million for the movie grossing stuff on Monday. They kept pushing up the estimates on how the movie was doing. So very good word of mouth for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, $158 million worldwide. It is, of course, a theatrical exclusive for at least, uh, I don't know, 30, 45 days? Hmm. Well, I do find it interesting that they're doing a theatrical-only release for this film that, if they had put it on Disney+, Plus, would have been pirated in under an hour and then put onto uh, pirate sites. They do want to open the movie in China, and it would have been watched in China before it ever got there. Well, you know, good luck on... I, I think strategizing for China is not necessarily a good idea anymore since you can't depend on that country's government to allow you to show your movie or give you any heads up on when, but that's what we'll discuss in Inside Baseball. So the number one movie around the world is Shang-Chi, $158 million. We'll discuss the Labor Day weekend at the end. And number two is Free Guy, another $59 million. It's at $240 million worldwide. Candyman had a great hole. That made another $22 million, $50 million worldwide. What's worse? Saying Beetlejuice, 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 or Candyman, Candyman, Candyman while looking in the mirror? I think it's Candyman, right? Uh, probably Paw Patrol. I think that would be even worse because you don't want to watch Paw Patrol. That grossed $19 million and that passed the $80 million mark. It's the first movie on our list that is also on streaming right now. It's on Paramount+. Plus. Raging Fire is a Hong Kong thriller starring Donnie Yen. That made another $14 million. That's at $180 million worldwide. Jungle Cruise with Dwayne Johnson. Does he like Disney? We'll find out. He's closing in on the $200 million mark with his movie. It made $9 million. And of course, they're talking sequel. The Tomorrow you know, the, I, I actually saw a tweet that said, a sequel to Jungle Cruise? Did Disney see the first movie? <laughs> Which I thought was... Well, some people have seen The Tomorrow War. That plays on Amazon Prime, but it got a theatrical release in China. Now, The Tomorrow War was on the charts for like a week or two, but it seems to have dropped off. However, they, the reporting on movie streaming numbers from Nielsen has become divorced from the reporting on TV shows. Maybe they're trying to de-emphasize linking all that stuff together as stuff people watch on streaming. But for some reason, it takes days and days to get the streaming numbers for movies. I haven't seen it for like the last two weeks. I think The Tomorrow War has dropped way down or even off the chart from what I can tell, but I'm not clear. If you know how it's doing and why our streaming numbers for movies take longer than the streaming numbers for TV shows, tell us. Yes, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter, where our handle is showbizsandbox. Or you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. 
That's right. And Tomorrow War did open up in China. It made $8 million. I haven't seen it on Amazon Prime. Have you? No, uh, I have. Uh, actually, I heard from a couple of people who did watch it, and they said it was so bad, they didn't know what to They like only kept watching to see just how bad it would get. Like, like <laughs> is it going to get any worse? Oh, it's going to get worse. Okay. I wanted to trash talk free guys, so I almost tried to convince our in-house film critic Aaron Rich to watch that movie just so I could say, oh, isn't that ending stupid without spoiling it? But, you know, that's not nice. I saw you know, it, so I, I you will don't say this. Yeah, you saw it so we don't have to, but I did see it, and I saw it with some teenagers who absolutely loved it. So I don't think it was really made for adults. That's ridiculous. We're talking about whether the movie is good or not. It doesn't matter who it's made for. I can watch a children's film. I can watch a movie for old people. I can watch a movie about young people in love. I can watch a sci-fi movie. A West. It doesn't matter. Either it's a good movie or it's a bad movie. Little Mermaid was made for children, perhaps. It's a great movie. Well, I will tell you this. Free in Guy China is not a good movie. In China, you can only watch Free Guy Friday, Sat Thursday, Friday, and Saturday from 8 to 9.15 because it's <laughs> about video funny. games. <laughs> they give you an extra 15 minutes now. That's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Suicide Squad is also in theaters. That made $8 million this week. It, too, is on HBO Max. After We Fell, this is a sequel to After We Collided, and there's a third movie coming. They filmed both sequels at the same time. This will hit U.S. theaters in October. It opened in a number of territories overseas. Sounds like a toxic relationship, though it's supposed to be romantic. It made $7 million in its opening week. Then F9, Fast and Furious 9, made another $7 million. But that passed the $700 million mark. It's at $711, $700 million, $711 million. I didn't say that right. It's also on video on demand. Uh, now, I, I can tell you that I talked to a bunch of other teenagers who have graduated. They're like college-aged and yeah. maybe 18, 19, 20 years old. You sure and talk were, to a lot of teenagers. Well, I have some, so if you'd like uh, to... Uh, fair enough. I'll send them your way. You can talk them. to teenagers, yeah. too. Good luck. <laughs> uh, you, you know, so they were telling me the worst movie they saw this year was by far F9, and they were telling me all of the horrible things about it, and and then I said, okay, um, when they were done, I just like waited and waited. I said, so, uh, you know, they're making F f10 they're making a 10th movie are you going to see it without hesitation they all went oh yeah absolutely and i thought <laughs> well there you go Did they all hug afterwards because there's a no. lot of hugging in that movie don't breathe too the horror flick probably no hugging in that film six million dollars this week the boss baby family business made five million dollars the night house starring rebecca hall that's a horror flick that made another two million dollars it's at eight million dollars and counting and malignant the latest horror film from director James Wan that opened up overseas. It opens up in North America this week. It made $2 million in some markets. That's the worldwide box office. What I wanted to talk about was Labor Day. Prior to this Labor Day weekend, the biggest opening of all time was 2007's Halloween reboot. That grossed $30 million. Shang-Chi pretty much tripled that. Yeah. Tripled it. Now, studios would always say, nobody wants to go see movies on Labor Day, or nobody wants to see movies on this, or nobody goes to movies in February, or nobody goes to movies. It's like, you can open a movie any weekend of the year. If you have a good movie and position it well, people will show up, right? Well, yeah, I also think that, you know, this movie had uh, some things going for it. They wanted to have the, um, you know, they had the Asian community come out and see this movie, number one. Number twice two. The, twice, the, uh, twice the percentage of the typical Marvel movie, I believe. So whether it's like 8% of Marvel audience was uh, Asian American, typically in the North America, this time it was about 16%. So they really came out in force, which is cool to see. Of course, you want to see yourself on screen. 
Uh, they had IP going for it, so Marvel in and of itself. I mean, people like Marvel. What can I say? Uh, and so they had a, a number of things going for it. I also think, was there some bad weather in the e- on the East Coast? Um, I don't think that, I don't, I, I think that I'd have sort of played out by then. Okay. I do know this, that I actually heard a, a movie theater chain operator, you know, basically the head of a movie theater chain say, well, let's hope for a rainy Labor Day weekend. I was like, oh my right. God. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. Well, yes. So that hit film had some good things going for it. Yes. As is true of every hit film. But the fact is they have avoided Labor Day, just like they used to avoid other months of the year, entire months of the year, they wouldn't program movies. It's foolish. It's just like not showing new TV shows on Saturday night. People will go if you show them a good movie. And if you tell them it's coming. I mean, they advertised Shang-Chi. They marketed Shang-Chi. They needed to, just like you need to advertise and market every movie. It's Sean, Sean with a G at the end. Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. Shang Shi. Is this yes. what the whole movie is about? It's, about? It's, it's, Here's how you pronounce a, my name. There, that's exactly a scene in the movie. Oh, it's, really? It's, it's okay. very early on. And his name is Sean in the movie when we meet him. And then we find out his real name is Shang Shi. And she's like, and went into hiding. And Aquafina's like, really? You changed your name from Sean to Sean? You thought that was really disguising you, dropping the G? That was your big trick? <laughs> <laughs> China's summer box office hit an eight-year low this year. Thank you, COVID. COVID. Yes, yeah. that's right. But we will be talking more about that in Inside Baseball. Uh, Top Gun. Top Gun moved to May of 2022, which means Mission Impossible moved from May of 2022 to September of 2022. Movies jumped into Top Gun slot right away. So everybody's trying to move forward. They haven't all left 2021 yet. There are movies opening up in December. Paramount has. Paramount has totally abandoned 2021. How many movies do they have? Well, they have Clifford the Big Red Dog. Right. And then two Tom Cruise movies. So they have three films. Yeah. And one well, of, and two, let, only, let, only one of them, you know, only two of them were scheduled still for 2022, to be clear. Yeah, so 2021, you mean, and but Top yes. Gun. Right. So yeah. they, moved, they moved a movie. Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, CinemaCon was last week or the week before they announced this. Exhibitors were kind of pissed off. And... I would say to exhibitors, yes, you would think that, you know, they, they moved the film. You would think they would know that they were going to move the film a week prior to that and would let exhibitors know that or maybe not promote it as a 2021 film. I will tell you that that's assuming everybody knows how to do their job and that everybody is on the same page at a studio. And they probably didn't know that the film was going to move until, you know, two hours before it moved. Right. They made a decision and they told the world because they can't keep it a secret. I still see Clifford as a vague 2021 release. Have they moved it? It is. It is. It is. It's not not updated on IMDb or Wikipedia. No, it's December 25th or something like that. Well, that would still be 2021. So they moved one film. They abandoned the year. They have two movies in 2021. One of them moved to 2022. Not exactly abandonment. They just don't have that many movies. But... I understand it. You've got a big property. You want to make money. You want to launch a franchise. You don't want to open it amidst COVID when people are afraid to go to the cinemas. Shang-Chi shows us it can happen, but these movies are sort of capturing a good window of opportunity, aren't they? It doesn't feel like the future is clear sailing, you know, down the road. It's just like, okay, they got lucky this weekend. The weather. I saw one one reporter say, you know, I was at CinemaCon last week. It's kind of like going out on on a date. Uh, from like one of these like dating app dates 
and then uh, walking in, you know, spending a, a lovely time. You think you have a great time. And then you walk into the parking lot and you notice that she's going out on the, her next date with the next <laughs> with the next guy because <laughs> I thought, okay, that's an interesting way of putting it. What kind of dates does this person go on? Anyway, I have no they, idea. I don't know if those are dates. I'm putting those in quotes anymore. Well, yes, so the pandemic has caused havoc. Look at Bonnaroo canceled for 2021. Wait, it's not yeah, due that, to COVID. It's due yeah. to flooded festival grounds. Thank you, Ida. If it ain't COVID, it's a hurricane. But concert venues are doing a little workaround. They're having trouble because some states are trying to ban vaccine mandates and you can't force your concert goers to show up and show proof of having a vaccine mandate, which means everyone who went to your show would have to worry about whether they would die for going to see Dave Matthews in concert. Well, some venues have gotten clever. In Florida and Texas, some venues are banned from asking for proof of vaccine, but they can require a recent COVID test based on how it was worded, the, the statute that was passed, if statute is the right word. And they can accept a proof of vaccination in lieu of a recent negative COVID test. So if you've got a vaccination proof, you can walk in, show that, and you go into the concert. Everybody will have to have that or at least, you know, a 48-hour uh, negative COVID test. So that's that's a that's a nice little workaround uh, over some pretty nonsensical rules passed by some states, you know. If a business wants to keep its customers safe and not die while they go there, they should be allowed to do it. Well, wouldn't it be great if there was a way... Uh, like a registry or some kind mm -hmm. of way that you could have like a national, like, hey, I've been vaccinated. Here's my proof. Here's my. Wouldn't that be great? Kind of like what the EU is doing. Well, I mean, your vax proof of vaccination counts as a vaccine passport, or rather, you know, proof I won't kill you. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I won't kill you. So that's that's nice. Yes, but uh, uh, you know, that's just a fight for another day. But the fight at SAG-AFTRA is over for the moment, or is it? There was a big, big election. Fran Drescher won the party that has been in power. Gabriel Carteris from Beverly Hills 90210 stepped down. Fran Drescher campaigned on that platform. She is now the new president of SAG-AFTRA. However, it looks like the rival party's Jolie Fisher won secretary-treasurer in a landslide, and the membership first party seems to have won big down ticket, meaning almost everywhere else it looks like the membership first party has gained a lot of momentum, but not quite enough for some reason for Fran Drescher uh, to lose, to, for Matthew Modine to go over the top. So it's a split union, or is it just a union where Fran will say, hey, all right, I'm listening to you. We can all work together. I hear your concerns. We'll be a little more progressive than we were ready for. We'll push a little more of your concerns forward. They could unite, or they could be involved in you know, infighting and paralysis. So any idea what's going to happen? No, absolutely no idea. I know Anthony Rapp, my friend, was running. I didn't. Yeah, he didn't he, win, unfortunately. He, yeah, he didn't win. Uh, but now, what are the differences between these two platforms? What is membership first? Do you want to re remind us what that is? Well, that's the 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 party that Ed Asner was campaigning for before he died. Uh, they're they were uh, angry and upset about the healthcare system. They felt that the changes in the healthcare plan, which booted off some people who were already retired and depending on that healthcare system, were unfair and wrong. They want to put members first. The the Fran Drescher party says we're desperately trying to keep ourselves liquid. Healthcare costs are exploding. It's a question of, you know, no health care for everyone or some health care for some people, and we're doing the best we can. I have no idea who's right in that battle. Uh, certainly, I want everyone to have as much health care as possible. The real fight is to just get universal health care for everybody <laughs> rather than having to fight it out business by business. But that's a different story. So 
I would say the membership first party is more progressive, but I would not paint it as like conservative or Republican. It's just they have slightly different priorities. Uh, hopefully, presumably, they'll be able to work together. Certainly, membership first is gaining ground. Also, yeah. gaining ground is streaming. Uh, again, this is another week where we have no streaming info on movies yet. Uh, of course, this is a holiday weekend, so that's that's you know not unusual. But we do have the top original series on streaming platforms and the top acquired series on streaming platforms. Of course, this is Nielsen, and they're only reporting on properties available on Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Hulu, and Netflix. They only cover stuff watched in the home. They don't cover if you watch on your laptop, like a lot of what I do, or on your phone or outside of the house. And in fact, Nielsen, in the biggest news of the week, they have officially lost their accreditation. The organizing body that accredits them and others for their measurement of TV ratings has denied them accreditation and also denied them this stay of execution or this stay that they wanted to do. They wanted to pause to try and figure everything out. I can understand the frustration from studios and networks with Nielsen and the challenges that they want. Look, we got all these viewers and you're not capturing them and you're not showing us what you're doing and blah, 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 blah. But what measurement are we going to use? How are we going to, if everybody came together, it would still be an unbelievably difficult problem. The only people who really know is like Apple and Google, right? They know what you're doing on your phone and laptop and in your home without breaking tons of privacy. I don't know how you're going to put all these pieces together. It's not going to be easy. I don't even know what measurement you should use. How do you compare something on a streaming service with something on a network with something on demand and something in syndication? It gives me a headache. Yes, you'd almost think that these are changing times and that uh, things are a little <laughs> bit chaotic and uh, it's a little bit difficult. <laughs> Disney, uh, speaking of uh, Disney uh, and television, they have shut down Hotstar in the U.S. That's a satellite service channel that a lot of people in Asia, especially India and elsewhere, are very familiar with. They have sh are, sh are shutting it down in the U.S. Basically, they're farming out the original programming. ESPN Plus is going to get the cricket. And Hulu is going to get all the Bollywood and other Indian and South Asian films and TV shows. So that's where that's headed to in television. The biggest show right now this week is Outer Banks on Netflix. In fact, all of the top 10 of original series are all on Netflix. Outer Banks, Virgin River, On the Way Down. The biggest acquired series is All-American, also on Netflix, as is everything else. All the top 10 of original series streaming this week, Netflix. All of the acquired series that are the most popular this week, Netflix. Just a week where people were not showing a lot of stuff on other channels. Of course, it's the week that the Olympics were still happening, so that's that's where you go. But, of course, it's a big deal when Disney shuts down Hotstar and they form out Cricket. It's a big deal and time for what? Big deal or big whoop? Yes, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Our first story is ABBA, ABBA, ABBA. Okay, that's what it says here. Abba, Abba, Abba. But with exclamation marks. Did I say that right, Michael? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> As the entire world now knows, Abba is back. After 40 years and with some prodding from Simon Cowell, the band Abba has reunited. They've recorded a new album called Voyage. They've spent five years capturing themselves, performing their entire catalog with the latest digital motion capture technology. You know, I, I should do that just for this show. And then, you know, just... I'd have my virtual self to do it. Uh, they, they, they've built, actually, an entire arena in London to house this state-of-the-art technology, and now and forever fans can come to London 
go to the ABBA arena and attend a concert of their virtual selves, or at least the virtual ABBA. Uh, not since Led Zeppelin played a show at the O2 Arena has a reunion been this big, and they didn't even write a new song. Is this a big deal? Or, oh, for, you know, it's a big deal, isn't it? It's a very big deal. Uh, and the not writing a new song refers to Led Zeppelin, not ABBA, because they've written 10 of them. Do I have it in me? Uh, for One thing I like about the two songs is they didn't try and be kids. They're adults. The women's voices are older, and you can hear it. And yet they still sound exactly like ABBA. That's very cool. They have some great, great singles. ABBA Gold should be in everybody's library collection, or I guess these days you should have it saved into your streaming device. But the two songs are adult, they're mature, they sound like it, they're not trying to be kids anymore, that's cool. And I think in this concert, they're not trying, They're while the avatars look young, they may go through different ages, we don't really know yet, but they're of course in their prime, I think. But I don't think they're going to try and mask their vocals and you know digitize it and smooth it all out and try to make it sound like 30, 40 years ago. If our new songs are any indication, they are going to embrace who they are now and let them sound as if they were performing live today. And I think that would be a really good decision on their part. That's a really good idea. But is this a big deal? Absolutely. You know why? Because somewhere, Paul McCartney is in front of 500 cameras wearing motion capture stuff all over his body doing this. Every big star is going to do this just to make sure they have saved that data for the future so they can decide if there's money to be made, if there's stuff I want to do down the road, now is the time to preserve myself digitally. And I think if the technology is ready, and ABBA seems to say it is, uh, they're all going to do this. Actors, celebrities, music people, why wouldn't you? If, you, if you're big enough and you can afford it, you're going to do it. There is a, an upcoming movie, and I'm not going to say which one, but there is an upcoming movie where one of the actors is no longer around. It's uh, a sequel. Uh, why are you keeping it a secret? Well, I don't because it'll give away the the ending. Uh, but what I will say is, they have digitized this actor and did a phenomenal job. It's and I I thought to myself, oh my gosh, if you're an actor, you've got to be worried about putting on that motion capture suit because at some point they'll just get all of you that they need and then they won't need you anymore. No, of course you have to pay for the rights. And of course we've seen this in, in different movies already, like the Star, Star Wars, Wars films. Yeah. We've seen characters recreate and they're going to get better at it all the time. And the way to get even better at it is to have the actor there performing the way Abba did. That's going to make it work a lot better than just trying to like use old clips of Fred Astaire to show him dancing with a vacuum cleaner. But the technology is there. Industrial light and magic is there helping them do this. Who's not there? Simon Cowell. He's the one who came to him and said, you should just tour with holograms. Don't bother touring. Just make a lot of money touring. I'm like, that's a very interesting idea, Simon. Goodbye. <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't know when, I don't know when he fell out of it, but he, he doesn't seem to be involved anywhere in the, in the, in the credits. So, but full credit to Simon for prodding them and giving them, or at least potentially being the one who gave them the idea in the first place. Well, after a tumultuous year, the daytime talk show, The Talk, which I had no idea even existed, uh, that show has pivoted permanently from its all-women lineup. So I guess I did know it existed, actually. Uh, first, they brought on actor Jerry O'Connell, actor, neighbor of mine, and also former classmate of mine. And he joined- Everybody's a neighbor of yours. You have the biggest block in all of Hollywood. <laughs> Everybody lives up the block from you. It doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, he's up the block from me. Well, I see him walking his dogs all the time. And sometimes he's running like with his dogs. I'm like, the dogs are running faster than you, Jerry. And, you know, you might want to might want to run a little faster. Uh, Keep going. He, well, anyway, he was on the show with Cheryl Underwood and Amanda Klutz. 
And now TV presenter and former NFL player Akbar Baja Biamila. Uh, uh, the G is silent. Baja Biamila. Baja Biamila. What you said. Uh, he is also Akbar on board. Baja Biamila. Yeah. Uh, so two guys, two gals, two people of color. Let's talk. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? Well, it's a big whoop, but it's a way to distinguish themselves in daytime from The View. It's been around for 11 seasons, Sperling. Pay attention. But I thought it was extremely bold of them on The View. Bold, obvious, and smart to have all-women panel talking on the issues of the day. It paid off big. Multiple other shows have copied them, including The Talk. They've had a bad few years. This is a great way to refresh the format. Okay, well, now, speaking of refreshing a format, Kanye West, refresh. Because that's kind of what he does with all of his music. You see, he releases it Keep and then going. he reworks. Okay. Uh, Kanye West, he's done it again. After weeks of hoopla, West landed his latest album, Donda, at the top of the Billboard 200. It's his 10th number one album, making, is it always, uh, is it yay or ye? Well, I think Kanye, so I would say yay. Yeah. Well, Unless he it, comes to me and says, you're going yay. Instead of Bruce, you're going yay. Well, one of oh, he's only one of seven acts now in the last 65 years to accomplish this feat. He joins the Beatles, Jay-Z, Bruce Springsteen, Barbara Streisand, Eminem, and Elvis Presley. What a motley bunch. Uh, a clutch of acts have nine number one albums, including Taylor Swift and Drake, both of whom, by the way, should join the, this elite club any day now. And yes, it's easier to land a number one album, but it's not that easy. So is this a big deal or a big whoop? Right. It's easier now. Well, here's the interesting thing about this. Of course, statistically, it's still a big deal. People can get 20 singles on the Hot 100 at a time, but hitting a number one album still matters. It's still important. But normally, the release of the album is the beginning of your campaign. Kanye West made it the finale. He had weeks of elaborate, sold-out listening parties. People came to stadiums to sit risking their lives, I might add, to hear his new album, which was evolving and changing from, you know, location to location. And it was sort of elaborate live spectacle going on. But the important thing is he made a lot of money. Yeah, yeah the, he did. Not to mention merchandise, which he has taken to a whole new level of niceness. It's not just a crappy t-shirt when you go to a Kanye West show. And that's carried over to a lot of other acts now. They've all really raised their game. What you kind know, of albums merchandise aren't selling? does he have? All sorts of clothing and stuff. Oh, also okay. really nice clothing. It's not just like, here's a crappy t-shirt. No, no, no. You're paying big bucks. <laughs> so albums aren't selling. Touring is hard right now. So you might as well make money off the pre-release excitement. So full credit to him for that. I know albums really only came into prominence in the 60s. You know, the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper being a big example. There were many albums before that. Sinatra had albums. And I thought, what about Crosby? What about Sinatra? It wasn't the era of the album, but surely they, in the earlier charts, before, no, Crosby had four number one albums, well, Sinatra and, had five. Okay, so Crosby had four, Sinatra had five, but by Crosby, you're not talking about David Crosby. No, I'm talking about the large, biggest entertainer of all time, Bing Crosby. Okay, just wanted to, you know, clarify that. That's right. I'm just listening to the new Gene Clark album, by the way. Uh, not new Gene Clark, a reissue of a Gene Clark album. So speaking of the birds and, and all those people, uh, hope Dave Crosby's doing well. I know he's a big fan of the show, and I know his favorite part is Inside Baseball. That's right. It is time for Inside Baseball, where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and, more importantly, how they affect you. And joining us today is the editor of Celluloid Junkie. And uh, you know what? Before we, we talk uh, about China and everything, you, you'll see where I'm going with this. China is the second biggest market for movies in the world, of course, behind only North America and depending on the year, ahead of North America. <laughs> and, and for years, analysts have breathlessly insisted it was about to become number one. 
as Elvis Presley said, 1.4 billion Chinese movie fans can't be wrong. Did Elvis really say that? I guess he did. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, while we've uh, always, I should have read this before, you know, we actually started uh-huh. recording. Uh, while we've always believed China would someday hit number one, the predictions that it could or would happen right away were always premature. But now it's possible China's inevitable ascent to the summit is more, well, if it's inevitable than it would be evitable. I guess. I don't know. To discuss why Chinese box office may be stumbling after COVID gave it a win with an asterisk. We're joined by Patrick Von Sikowski of Celluloid Junkie. Patrick, and by the way, uh, Patrick, why don't you also explain what you're doing with Cold Picks, what Cold Picks is, and, and everything Cold Picks. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me back on the show. And I'm, I'm slightly jealous. You know, you, you guys, you should have invited me on to talk about ABBA. You know, I'm Swedish. I'm bona fide, not an ABBA expert, but, you know, ABBA connoisseur. It's kind what, of is the a- best, what is the best ABBA album? For me, it's clearly the compilation ABBA Gold. I think their singles trump the albums, but uh, perhaps you have a different perspective. Yeah, ABBA Gold, you know, it's been in the UK charts for over 1,000 weeks. No other album has achieved that feat, you know, and it's no small feat. <clears throat> oh, it's, it's huge, and they did it right because they did, They had all these Greatest Hits albums that came yeah. out in different countries. Different labels had the rights. They rush released a Greatest Hits oh. album when they hit big. Suddenly yeah. they had to put one out in Sweden. It was all a mess, but when all the rights were pulled back, <laughs> they got rid of all those other compilations and put out one, and yeah. they did it brilliantly, and it's kind of cool. They still climax with Waterloo. You're like, their mm. first hit, that's still how you end the show, baby. They I know. know what they're doing. But here's a couple of questions for you. So how many Grammys have ABBA won in total? Zero. How many times were they nominated? Zero. How many points did UK give to ABBA in the Eurovision oh. Song Contest oh, final for Waterloo? Zero, the big jerks. Yes. Completely it's political. All part, it's all Outrageous. part of it. It's all political. It was always political. <laughs> I, I'm just really yeah. shocked that, that the, the band from that Broadway show has done so well for themselves. Well, <laughs> I've got another zero for you. I've read an interview with Abba. You know, they were touring in the 70s. How many times while they were touring do you think they were offered drugs? <laughs> zero? No. Yeah. yeah. No. Oh, yeah. There Is was that an in their memoir? Bjorn and Anna Fried, I read yesterday from 2014. They were that squeaky clean. Nobody even thought to offer them any drugs. You know, I don't know if that's rude like, or just, we, we, you know, we would have loved to have some drugs. We would have liked <laughs> some drugs or at least to be offered. That's that's hilarious. They yeah. were they were, uh, you know, squeaky clean. I don't know. They had their divorce. They had their Fleetwood Mac moment. Oh, yeah. You know, so that's uh, they got a lot of drama. But I think it's very cool. They came back together. I think it's. Uh, I have to admit, I knew it was huge. I was interested, and mm-hmm. I, 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 um, I signed up. I thought, well, okay, I'll ch- click on that, and s- I figured I'd see some streaming announcement. And there were listening parties in like how many cities? Like the people gathered in Central Park. To hear what they were going to say and do and to hear the first song all over. I was kind of like, wow, that's, you know, it's like Led Zeppelin or the Beatles. Mm. Like there aren't many acts that big. No, no. And they've got a Christmas song in the album, you know, just saying. Oh, well, semi-Christmassy. It sounds a little down. Ah. It sounds a little downbeat, doesn't it? The title sounds a little, a little like maybe one of those sad Christmas Mm. songs, which is my jam. That's what I like. It's it's a scanny thing. They're channeling. Bergman. Yeah, it's very exciting. My sister is signed up. She's going to try and buy tickets. She lives in London, so she's going to get tickets. Oh, my friends, she's already like, bought tickets for me. I'm, I'm down there. 20th of June, 2022. 
Oh, awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear what the technology is like. <laughs> I went to see Celine Dion in Vegas because yeah. I wanted to see what that technology was like, the screens that they were doing to change the sets. And it was jaw-dropping. This was years ago. And I went, wow, she's on the ocean. She's at a castle. She's in the desert. I mean, it just looked so real and believable. You just went, wow, everybody's going to do this when they can afford it. So we can't wait. You are already booked to come tell us what ABBA was like in concert. That's kind of cool. I will be back. But anyway, sidetracking me, sidetracking you. Um, thank you very much <laughs> for asking me about Cold Picks. So uh, Cold Picks is a streaming service for niche, classic, cult and genre films. So old horrors, old um, spaghetti westerns, old sci-fi, you know, the kind of things they don't really show anymore at, at um, Netflix and the other streaming services. They're on Cold Picks. And um, we've gotten very excited. In fact, you're going to be the first ones to hear about this is we've got a partnership that we announced today with the boutique cinema chain Everyman in the UK. So uh -huh. they're going to be hosting and doing screenings of films that we have curated for them. So across four cities in the UK, London, Glasgow, York, and Bristol, uh, we'll be having four films this autumn. So it's going to be Night of the Living Dead, uh, She Freak, Christina, Swedish Nymphet, and Silent Night, Bloody Night as a Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that's so. The, in 35 cinemas in the UK is the chain every man, but you're going to be in four different cities. We're going to be in four cities and five cinemas on Tuesday nights called Tuesdays. So the idea is not just to be another streaming platform. We want to be a, a real life community for film nerds, films obsessives. So anyway, will you have eventually have any live presence there? Like people introducing the movie and, or and chatting with well, talent? Why? Funny you should ask that. We have guests, celebrity guests for each one. So uh, we're going to have somebody introduce the film on screen in every location, but in person in some of them. So we're kicking off on the 21st of September with a screening of a restored version of George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead from 1968, nice. introduced by Dave Norris, who was um, called The Lost Projection of Standing by Mark Kermode, the British film critic. So, yeah. How did, if you, how did you get a restored print of it? Uh, who restored it? Because um, that's expensive. It is, but it's such a classic that fortunately people are prepared to, you know, spend good money on it. And really, it's, it's a film that deserves to be watched on the big screen because it is the granddaddy or grandmother of all zombie films. You're supposed to be pushing cold picks, for heaven's sake. Where well, is I, it? When will it be available or is it available cold now? Picks How is much available does it now. cost? <laughs> cold mm -hmm. picks is available library? now. It's uh, mm -hmm. global, so you can get Great. it in any country. You can sign up on a monthly basis for a very cheap $6.66 for a monthly fee. <laughs> And are you trying to reach the satanic crowd? Six dollars and sixty-six cents. Kind of settled on that as a compromise. So yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's between seven fourteen and what? Yeah, it's yeah. It actually works out cheaper because you can sign up for a whole year for fifty-nine bucks. But if you pay six dollars sixty-six, you end up paying seventy-nine bucks. So you know, save yourself twenty dollars. Don't go down the satanic route. Sign up for twelve months. <laughs> you know, this is a cult. We want you. Is it a is it a constant library? Is it a rotating library? Like, it's a constant uh, like library. Movie? We have what about we have about five hundred titles, and it's a mix of films from our own archive and um, those from friends of ours. So we work with companies like Something Weird Video in Seattle, uh, Vinegar Syndrome, Synapse. 
Eurocine, Nikatsu in Japan, and we're adding titles every week. So there's about five new titles uh, added on an average week. One more question before I let Sperling jump in. Uh, have you thought about, or is there any possibility of people who have a library and they want to promote their movie and they want to bring, give it some jolt of attention and they loan it to you for six months or something because they sure. know you want to do it in a cinema, you could do it on your, and then it'd be available on your platform for a while because yeah. getting the rights and buying catalogs is very expensive. I just wonder about getting even more it access. Is. So yes, this we've curated this. It's worth watching. Yeah. Here you go. We're thinking of doing kind of special limited releases. And yeah, we're always open to suggestions, new partnerships. So we're, we're in discussion with a bunch of people. And I hope we're going to get some cool titles that we've got our eyes on. The only thing is, we've got a release window. You know, I know you guys keep talking about, you know, windows, uh, but we've got a very strict window. It's not a 45 day window, it's a 30 year window. <laughs> oh, so, wow. Okay. <clears throat> it has to be 30 years between theatrical release and streaming. So 1991 and before. And what's, uh, what, how do you spell it? It's cult picks, cult as in join the cult and picks, P I X.com. Cool. All right, cool. Well, we'll check it out. And thank you for letting me plug it heavily. <laughs> well, and, uh, when you're not, when you're not, uh, running cult picks, you're the editor of celluloid junkie. That's right. And, and I saw your thing in the marquee, which is a newsletter you guys have that people should sign up for right now. And in that latest issue, uh, you're, uh, you talk about it's a buyer's market for inexpensive cinema chains around the world. You mentioned recent sales in Singapore, for example. Mm. However, it was another line that caught my interest. You said China may have also peaked at the box office, but the Indian market is just getting going again. Mm. It is indeed. I mean, as Sperling said, there have been so much focus on China and understandably because it took off with a rocket pace. No, we saw double digit growth year on year. They were opening multiplexes, IMAXs. They were investing in all the latest equipment. They were leapfrogging over the kind of multiplex market we have yeah. in the West. And if you've seen some of these, they're beautifully designed as well. At the same time, their domestic film market and film production was starting to take off. So they were finally you know, upping the game in terms of their own production values, VFX values. They had huge budget and prestige projects like the, you know, Wandering Earth and uh, Wolf Warrior 2 that were achieving figures that, you know, it's the single largest take for any film in a single market, I think, after uh, the new Star Wars film. So, Yes, the world was watching China and inevitably a lot of speculation. When is the market going to overtake North America? Well, it overtook the US and then it was inching towards North America. And then COVID came and the COVID thing really rewrote the rules because while cinemas yeah. were still closed in Western markets, China reopened. And wouldn't you know it, even without any Hollywood releases last year, it became the biggest uh, box office territory in the world, not just biggest by screen count, but biggest by actual spend on cinema tickets. Now, the question is, you know, where does it going to leave? Is it going to stay ahead of the US? Are things changing? And we got the answer this summer, because this summer, the box office in China was actually was the lowest for eight years. It retreated because they didn't have the titles. They didn't have a big domestic hit like the 800 last year, and they didn't have the Hollywood titles. And still, some of the Hollywood titles are not coming out in China. We're still waiting for a release date of Black Widow. Um, so the question is, yeah, it's a bit market, but like everything else, it's dependent on the titles. 
And they don't want the titles anymore, isn't it? They have a vibrant local market in terms of the movies that they're making. Hi, Mom was a big hit. Small movies can score big. Spectacle movies can score big. But they're really, you're facing a lot of headwinds if you're trying to do business in China. A lot of stuff is going on. They're cracking down all sorts of ways. Uh, they've shut out Hollywood movies when they were being increasingly open to them. Uh, even when there's almost no local fair opening, you figure they might as well just let a Hollywood release be the sacrificial lamb. Even then, if they do it, they're like, okay, free guy, you have one week to open. Okay, mm. Tomorrow War, you have one week to open, one week to promote your movie. And they're cracking down on the entertainment business in general. The political atmosphere is very bad. Major tech firms like Alibaba and the founder Jack Ma are on the outs. They're cracking down on top movie stars and their salaries. They're cracking down on influencers and conspicuous consumption. They're cracking down on online fans talking about all this stuff. Glorification of a lavish lifestyle. They're cracking down on gaming. They're cracking down on gays and lesbians. They want to take aim at sissy idols and effeminate men. Uh, they're cracking down on screenings in Hong Kong of English movies. I mean... Uh, you know, and if you're in the U.S., stars who are who are you know tax dodging, they right? Are, and you if you if you're trying to do business in China, you can't depend on anything right now. You thought for a while, okay, they're opening more of our movies, they're being more dependable. Now you don't. You made Shang Chi, and you can't even. You don't even know if you're going to get to open there, and if you do, it'll be the last second. And God help you if one of your employees anywhere tweets, you know, a secondary actor on a movie tweets, "I love Taiwan." <laughs> Your movies are all shut down. Yep. And it was never a level playing field to begin with, because let's remember, they only allow in about 36 titles, of which 12 have to be 3D, I think. Um, and even then, you're only going to get 25% of the box office takings. And anything above that is sold on the flat fee. So guess what, Mr. or Mrs. Hollywood producer? You're not going to get rich in China. We're going to make sure that the Chinese get rich in China. And, but how is you know, it that like... You know, when this was all going on, I mean, and I think I've said this to you in the past because, uh, you know, for those longtime listeners, guess who also works at Celluloid Junkie? <laughs> Me. Uh, so we've talked in the past about how as this was happening and as China's market was growing, I, I kept saying, does nobody – has Hollywood not figured out that what China does is it learns as much as possible from mm -hmm. the market leaders of any market that it is entering – kind of soaks that all, leeches all that knowledge and yeah. then eventually kicks the market leader out of the country and says thank you very much but we'll make the chips from here on out or thank you very much but we'll make televisions from now on and thank you very much but we'll make mobile phones from now on and that's basically exactly what's happening here it's yeah thank you for showing us how the movie industry works uh we really don't like the whole celebrity aspect of it but we can yeah. control that as we kick you out and you get 10 films but thank you for letting us into the world trade organization and no different from japan you know making transistor radios and motorcycles in the 50s and 60s and, and any other country however there is a big difference and the one thing that china has not grasped and in stark contrast to India, is that they haven't mastered the art of the soft power. Whereas India, which is a crippled cinema market, you know, held back by red tape regulations, you know, the government actively working against the film industry, it has the world's biggest cinema market in terms of tickets sold. It is the second biggest export market for films after Hollywood. These colorful Bollywood films, they play not just to the Indian diaspora around the world, but they get translated and they get shown in Egypt. You know, they were huge in, in Russia and other countries. 
And they continue to have that thing which Chinese films do not, which is an export market. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, don't know about, I don't know about Indian soft power. It's not a phrase I would put together much right now. When I was the BJP party, that is not. That's not how I would. Modi is not my idea of. You know, he's more Trumpy not a soft than guy. Soft. No, no, not not a good guy either. But China does see their movies as a weapon, and mm. they do see there's a faction of the government, of course, who makes money off exhibition, and they yes. want the box office to grow, and they'd be happy to have Hollywood movies. Oh, yeah. But there's another big faction that only cares about Chinese movies, and another faction that only sees it as propaganda. Mm. And that's two factions to one. <laughs> and it seems like the people who want to show movies and make a lot of money are losing out to the people who see cinema as a weapon. But they yeah. also may be crippling their own industry by cracking down on all the creatives so strongly. That doesn't encourage good cinema when everybody's no. afraid to make a movie or speak up, does it? It's very true. And the biggest hit of the summer was a film that was glorifying the Chinese Communist Party, which celebrated 100 years this summer. But even then, it wasn't as big a hit as the 800 last summer, which, unless we forget, was delayed several times. And it had to be re-edited and tweaked to point out the fact that, yes, this was a true story about resistance to Japanese occupation, not by the communists, but by the nationalists who opposed the communists. So they had to skirt around that issue in clever re-editing and dialogue changes. But having said that, it's not an inherent problem to make films that are propaganda or that glorify country. An interesting Rambo. fact is... Yeah, well, <laughs> even the US, but if you look at Korea, if we look back about five, 10 years, they mandated a minimum amount of local films that had to be played in the multiplexes. And they had a very nationalist government under President Park, who was obviously then jailed. And they said, you will make nationalist, you know, films glorifying past Korean glories. And they actually won favor at the box office. You know, they had these big budget historic war epics, and they actually did quite well. Of course, they weren't parasite in terms of international, but it is a very Asian thing, this thing about managing the market and sort of having a, a strict control of it. And it's taken them a long, long way, whether it's China or Korea or Singapore, other things. But at the same time, against that, you have the chaos of India, and that market still has potential to grow because it has been held back such a long time because of the fact that it's younger population. It's got a lot of factors going for it. And right now, the cinemas that were operating in India were very overvalued in terms of the share price. Now, this is not constituting investment advice, but at the moment, we're seeing big chains like Carnival having problems paying their debts. And I would be surprised if there weren't sort of vultures of asset management or maybe even other cinema circling it with an eye towards a market with great future growth potential. Possibly even China. Reddit day traders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> China has 1.4 billion people. India yeah. has 1.3 billion people. China has a larger middle class than the entire population yeah. of the United States. India is not there yet, I don't think. No. I'm not sure how big their middle class is and how we define that, but it's certainly a growing middle class. Yeah. But what is keeping Hollywood and other international films from being a bigger force there? Is there a cultural change that needs to happen? Fast and Furious 9 just opened up to $1.5 million. Maybe mm. that's COVID-related, but I never hear about big coin coming from India whatsoever in any way, shape, or form for Hollywood movies. No, it's not a huge market. I mean, it'll crack the top 10 within a few years, and they're getting more clever at it by dubbing the films into not just Hindi, but the local languages such as Tamil and Tamil. Yep, yeah. all of that. Um, 
it's just a very much a domestic market focused on domestic films and they don't need to you know tell them to go and watch local films people just prefer that and and having worked in india i can tell you it's it's a universe onto itself you know they don't really need hollywood you want comedy you want action you want something they've got pretty good ones with pretty good production values which speak to the you know local population in their own language no we've crushed everyone else in the world we have big hollywood movies in france there's no reason we can't have big hollywood movies in asia in india but, for heaven's sake this is going to happen in china too because the future growth of cinema is going to be in tier three and tier four towns where people have less spending power they are i don't want to say less sophisticated but they're more geared towards local kind of humors and tastes and so on and finally in i don't want to mean to be coming on here and glorifying india because india does have a lot of problems not just as a cinema and media market but obviously politically ethnically and so on the one thing it has in favor against china is a much much younger population the worry about china is that it's going to grow old before it grows rich you know, it has a big middle class and a big urban class, but that's not the whole story. India's challenge is they've got a very young population. Can they find enough work? Can they open up the economy enough for them to all meet their aspirations of having a good job, having a house, having a motorcycle, going to the cinema and a fat with their family? Does India have the multiplexes the way you describe in China? I've always pictured that they were not as, as fully uh, screened uh, throughout the country as uh, I imagined. Significantly underscreened on a per capita basis, but they do have some great multiplexes and they're starting to build out again, more and more now in tier three and tier four cities than in the big metros where they're pretty well saturated. But their tier four cities are like our tier two cities in the US. It's a uh, big country. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, the same thing is happening in Saudi Arabia. They've built all the malls yeah. up. Well, that's in, a tiny... It, in Riyadh, yeah. but no, but I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is, yes, it's tiny comparatively to China, but the same concept of all the, they've basically kitted out all of the big cities. And now they're like, well, we need some in the suburbs and some in the, you know, the outlying areas where frankly, no cinema operator wants to build there because it's, it's well, a lost but there's lots of small towns of America with, with cinemas and multiplexes, just cause you know, the People worry like the per screen average has gone down because they're tier four. It's like, who cares if there's people there and you can support the cinema? Maybe it's a four top rather than an eight or 12 top, but they deserve a cinema. And if you want to get that market, they can't all travel to Mumbai to go see a movie. So, you know, you might as well do it, right? Very true. And coming back to the original point, Saudi Arabia, another great example of a country that's growing its cinemas. But guess what? We're not going to let you get rich out of it. We're going to make sure mm -hmm. that the money stays here. Yeah. So I what's mean, the big what's the big picture with China? Um, do you see the U.S. leapfrogging back to number one? Is picture a post-COVID happier world where everybody's doing what they can? Because I feel like China was already slowing down. They're trying to catch up to the U.S. in 2019. I thought eh, they're not. It's going to take a while. And I feel like the U.S. could leapfrog back over them and just uh, you know if they're strangling the cinema and refusing to let big budget movies that appeal to their audiences come in, yeah. I feel like they're just kneecapping their own industry for all. They may not care. But certainly they wouldn't be number one, I think, in five years. I think the U.S. is going to return or North America box office is going to overtake China again. Um, will it stay that way forever? Probably not. I think demographics and, and changes work in favor of China in the longer run. But I wouldn't want to put a number on it. And, you know, 50 years could be India unless we're all watching ABBA holograms at that point. So <laughs> who knows?
And while Brazil has this, this, you know, not not to belabor the point, the same problem with tiers three and four, but also they control their market by, in a very unique way, they say um, you can get a tax break if you do if you show a certain percentage of local movies. The problem is there aren't enough local movies, so of course <laughs> because taxes are so high, uh, every movie theater chain will play these local movies. They aren't great necessarily, not all of them. Uh, those that are do incredibly well, uh, mm-hmm. but you know they're struggling to find enough content to get the tax break. But that's the way Brazil has kind of controlled their market. I see an indie film in the works. You head to Brazil to make a movie. <laughs> That's a 200 those, million people yeah, market. They had those in the UK as well. They called them quota quickies, and they were yes, churned yes. out you know, just to meet that minimum threshold of local content. And sometimes it was a good breeding ground for young filmmakers. It was indeed. You know, let's, let's not sneer at it. Nope. Uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, in, po- in contrast, has 35 million people. Brazil has 200 million people, 210. And of course, China and India are 1.3, 1.4 billion people. I, I see yep. a new streaming service, Quota Quickies. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> so it's called Cool Cult Picks, C U L T P I X dot com. That's the streaming service. They should sign up for the marquee at cellularjunkie.com. That's where I, uh, your, your comment caught my eye. And uh, someday I dream of getting something in Cellular Junkie. I've only written 37 articles for them. None of them have gotten in. But someday, someday I dream about it. You know, <laughs> if only I knew somebody there who could help me. Oh, well. I know some people. I, I think I can help you with that. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'll try. No problem. I'm sorry. You're, you're breaking up. You're breaking up. I can't hear you. <laughs> Well, Patrick, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me on. Well, that was good of Patrick to join us. It was interesting. I've I've always been wondering more and more about India and what that market's like. And uh, I really do feel like the blowback in China, I just feel like everybody's been walking on pins and needles or eggshells trying to make sure they don't upset China and worrying about China. You know what? It seems crazy. It's the number one market in the world, but you might have to just consider that found money. You know, if you can get in there, great. If not, you know, otherwise it's, it's a fool's game. You know, you made Shang-Chi and you can't get in China. And they're like, oh yeah, you just, you know, <laughs> they're like, you only care about us now because you want to make money. It's like, yes, we're making a movie. We want to make money. I just always felt like China was one of those places that you just knew you were, it's like uh, the, the old, you know, alligator scorpion um, parable where, you know, the, the scorpion needs to cross the, the, uh, the river and, and convinces the alligator to carry it across the river. And the alligator says, I don't want to carry you across because, you know, you'll sting me and I'll die. And the scorpion swears up and down. No, 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 I won't. I won't. I promise I need to get across the river. And, and sure enough, the, eventually the alligator succumbs and says, okay, I'll carry you across the river. They get across the river. And as soon as they get to the other side, the scorpion stings the alligator. And the alligator says, why did you do that? You promised me you wouldn't do that. And the scorpion says, because I'm a scorpion. It's what I do. <laughs> you know, I know that I've just butchered that that par- that that story, but it, it's kind of like you know, you just knew at some point that China would turn on you, or just would, had its own priorities. You know, yeah. it's not betrayal. It's not you know, you weren't dating. It's business, and they're not interested in you helping your business. And Correct. there should never have been a, if you want to try and get China to be, play more by the rules. 
kick it out of the World Trade Organization. It should never have been there in the first place until it was willing to follow the rules. It's still not following the rules and guidelines of the WTO. Kick them out. Watch them pay a price financially. That's the only way to get what you need. Same with Russia. Here we are. Politics today. Show yeah, politics, politics today. And politics people sandbox. People yes. have oh, died yeah. this week. That's true. Yeah. Now, now, what what happened when – I'll tell you what happened when Willard Scott died and I, I mentioned it and people said, oh, he was like 100 years old. I said, <laughs> no, no, he always – no, he was not 100 years old. birthday is when they were 100 years old, yes. So my Willard Scott died at the age of 87. My sister called up my 92-year-old mother and said, Willard Scott died. And my mom said, oh, that's too bad. Who is he? <laughs> like, who is that? My sister's like, oh, that's right. You watched Good Morning America. <laughs> I watched it today. My mom started watching Good Morning America in the days of David Hartman. It carried over to the evening news where she watched Peter Jennings and Diane Sawyer and now David Muir very faithfully. That's why she watches ABC for her local news and always has. That's why you want to get them early and young. And that's today's lesson in consumer brand loyalty. <laughs> 35 years on NBC. My mom's like, who's that? I, I watch Good Morning. Sorry, I watch Good Morning America. I like George the funny, Stephanopoulos. <laughs> the funny thing is, I heard my kids today talking about Google Classroom, and I thought, oh my god, they're going to be Google for life. Like they're <laughs> just like they're on Google now for Google Classroom, and I'm like, okay, well, get used I guess to it. No, I guess we should kind of mention that Willard Scott was the meteorologist, the weatherman. On the Today the Show. The weatherman, he was not the meteorologist. He had no real training in it. There were other people who did the weather reports. He just delivered it. He was willing to do anything for a joke, for a laugh, to get attention. In fact, he was the first Ronald McDonald. He's been a clown all his life, and happily so. But he was very entertaining on the Today Show, made a name for himself being, ha, 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 you know, that guy over in the corner talking about the weather. Not a meteorologist, though. Uh, now it's done by people with real training because it's an important thing. <laughs> but yeah, well, 35 yeah. years being the clown on today's show, more power to him. And yes, and you've definitely seen movies because, you know, he would be featured in movies as the weatherman. Oh, absolutely. And and he like you say, he always wished a happy birthday to everyone who turned 100. I always thought he started at 90 and then he had to bump it up to 100 because too many people were living to be 90. But I guess that was just all in my head. But what's not in my head, or actually what is in my head, but it's not imaginary, is the music of Greek composer Mikas Theodorakis. He died at the age of 96, a legend in Greece, as much for his politics as his music. Zorba the Greek. If you've seen that film, or even if you haven't, you've probably heard the music and seen the dance that's done in the film by Anthony Quinn. It became Greece in the minds of people all over the world. As a composer... Uh, Teo Duracus had a huge international Greece? hit. The you country the of Greece. The country. Right, okay. He's a yeah, Greek yes. composer. Mikos. Okay. Mikos okay. Teo Duracus. <laughs> he did okay. the score for Zorba, the Greek, starring Anthony Quinn, the Greek. And no, it was no. a, and for many people, that became the sound of Greece, the country. Not I just Greece wanted to make word. sure that we were differentiating between Greece the country and Greece the musical since you were talking about music. The hint was Greek composer and Zorba the Greek. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that music in Zorba the Greek became a huge international hit and kind of defined the country for a generation. He also did major work on Z, on Sidney Lumet's Serpico, and many other movies, not to mention operas, symphonies, and the like, which dominated his later output in life. He was a fiery progressive. 
He enjoyed a pretty big political career, including multiple stints in the Greek parliament as a communist and then later uh, as a Democrat. When a military junta took over the country, that didn't stop Mikas. He kept talking and they threw him into a concentration camp until an international outcry led to his being exiled in 1970. Of course, when the junta fell, he came back to the country and was beloved for his stance. By the end of his life, he was overseeing the arts for the government and focused almost entirely on classical music. Uh, that sounds like a good life. Make a good movie, right? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, actually, it sounds like a movie to me. Yeah. And you know who's but, the movie star par excellence? Tell us. Jean-Paul Belmondo. Now, That's he died right. at the age of 88. He, he was literally the essence of cool as the co-star of Jean-Luc Godard's groundbreaking classic, Breathless. And, I, I, you know, you kind of say he's like James Dean. His fame was assured from one or two early films. But Belmondo had a long and distinguished career after that, working with Melville and Jean Morin uh, Priest and others, and also making his mark on Italian cinema, pairing with Sophia Loren on Two Women, among many others. Uh, he worked with Truffaut and René and, uh, and, you know, virtually everyone in France, including Godard's A, a Woman is a Woman. And uh, how do you, is it Pierrot Lefou? Pierrot Lefou, right. So he was an art house god, but he turned down work from Hollywood, but that didn't mean he didn't love genre picks. Later in his life, he became like an action star until he got injured one time and said, enough of that. But he said, I don't want to be the grandfather falling out of hell, you know, it, but he was a he was a cool guy. He, be, he became a, a, an action movie star and even turned to producing in the 70s. And he had a great quote about snobbery in cinema. He said, success in France is always looked down on, not by the public, but by intellectuals. If I'm a nude in a film, that's fine for the intellectuals. But if I jump from a helicopter, they think it's terrible. <laughs> I love I love that. It's like, yes, no, don't do anything entertaining. But uh, he did it all. He did stuff that was brilliantly groundbreaking like breathless and stuff that was hugely entertaining at least in france so cool for him goodbye jean paul well and goodbye to our listeners at least for this week because we will be back next week and if you want to make sure that you get both this week and next week's episodes why not subscribe to us in itunes the google podcasting uh i don't know what it's called the google google podcasts i guess microsoft stitcher spotify anywhere they give podcasts away for free you can find us. And in some places, you can rate and review our show. It does help us out when you do. So please uh, do rate and review our show. It uh, it lets those aggregators know, hey, this is a popular show, which, you know, they already know anyway. Right, Michael? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Go, oh, Rogan, yeah, yeah. watch your back and get yeah. better, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And stop promoting, yeah, you know, stupid stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, now, links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, as well as links to the work of Patrick Von Zakowski over at Celluloid Junkie. Well, that information can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find those ways to subscribe to us and ways to contact us. Dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter, where our handle is at Showbiz Sandbox, and Facebook. Facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox is where you can like our page. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. They can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Giltz can be found online, and every week he's got a new and exciting website for us. What is it this week, Michael? This week it's Do I Have It In Me? dot com.
Okay, I, I can't no- get that line from ABBA out of my head from their new song, but you won't find it there. Go to abbavoyage.com and get your tickets while you still can. Patrick's going. I, I, hey, I, now I want to go. go. The same, let's go the same night as Patrick. It's probably when, sold out for the next five years already. Exactly. Well, you know what? If you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry there, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com where all of his work is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. Uh-huh.